you very much. Wait till the end to see if you clap. Um, so I was out and about shopping the other day and uh, I was just walking into the local supermarket and there he was, the charity man with the charity tin rattling away. And I thought, uh-oh, I've got a thing to do is keep walking, keep walking, keep walking, don't make eye contact, just walk purposefully and don't look guilty as you walk by. And uh, I thought the really important thing is just don't make eye contact because if I do that, it will be really British and embarrassing and uh, then I won't be able to feel I can get past him without feeling bad. But try as I might, it was like there was a, a couple of pieces of invisible string on my eyeballs and they were just pulling my eyes <laughs> over into that direction just to see, to check whether he had seen that I was trying to get by. And... Uh, Sure enough, he was looking at me with a very knowing smile on his face. And so the game was up. I then had to pretend that I hadn't seen him. And I was just sort of seeing him for the first time. I was like, oh, oh yes, of course, yes. I was going to give you some money. So I went over to him and uh, I asked him what he was raising money for. And he said, uh, air ambulance. So I asked him how it was going. And he said, well, you know, you'd be amazed. He said, because I stand here and I just watch people coming in. And uh, they're in a world of their own. And then they see me and they freeze. You know, and their body language goes like, uh, and then they just rush past, you know. But when I come to them in my helicopter to rescue them, my goodness, aren't they pleased to see me then? So I said, are you the pilot? And he said, yeah. And I said, oh, well, why, why aren't you up in the sky rescuing people? He said, because I'm fundraising, you know. So I said, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll give you some money, yeah. And I was very, very happy to do that. But as I went on my way, I thought to myself, what was all that about? I mean, why did I initially react so negatively to the idea of giving some money away? He wasn't after my life savings, after all. But the thought of losing money can produce all sorts of reactions, overreactions, and insecurities in us at times. So I've got a question for you, which is what type of giver are you? Do you naturally like to splash it about a bit, maybe? Enjoy those impulse buys at the till? Or do you perhaps like to take your time and uh, maybe err on the side of caution? Because today's talk is about giving and how to dismantle the fears that might surround our thoughts about giving our money away. So let's jump in straight away and look at a couple of verses from the book of Revelation. This uh, contains a message from, the G from Jesus to the church in Smyrna. And he says to them, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. Having just talked to them about poverty... He says they're rich. And in Revelation 3.17, the message from Jesus to the church in Laodicea, he says this, you say, I'm rich, I've got everything I want, I don't need a thing. But actually, you uh, don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So this tells us that um, our earthly view of our earthly bank accounts may really not be our correct financial position. Because it seems that God has got a very different way 
of handling accounting than we do. And that raises the first question, which is, do we actually have an account with him? Paul says in Philippians, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I'm desiring your gifts. What I really desire is that more should be credited to your account. So Paul recognised that all of us have this account. But what did Jesus say about it? Well, in Matthew 6:19, he says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth, rust and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now, as an aside, isn't it interesting to notice that he chooses the actions of moths, rusts and thieves. I've got a, a drawer full of jumpers at home which have quite a few moth holes in. And uh, the first I knew about it is when it's too late. <laughs> and it's the same for rust and the action of thieves. Jesus is actually telling us that money can be corroded without us even knowing it's happening. And he's willing us to put it somewhere safe. So how are we actually going to get our money into our earth, our, away from our heavenly account and into sorry, our earthly account and up into our heavenly account, as Jesus advises us to do. Well, he gives you a very straightforward answer, because in Luke 6.38, he says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For, the, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So our first heading, then, is Give. And give with as big a measure as you can. For as we give, it is given back to us. And it seems that God has set in order this spiritual mechanism that will prosper us when we give. It's a beautiful piece of wisdom because it means that there's growth through giving and there's no room for greed in the system. You can see that backed up in another scripture in uh, 3 John 2 where he says, to the church, beloved, I wish above all things that you might prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So as we're learning to give, so we are beginning to prosper. It's the giving that's the key. And the prosperity comes in proportion to one's spiritual maturity. So it's beginning to be clear from these scriptures and others that Jesus' view of money is that he's quite keen for us to have some. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now that takes quite a bit of accumulation. And if you are somebody who likes to earn and provide for your family, you're actually living out the assignment that God has given you. So you should be really proud that you're able to do that. Because God loves to see things grow, and it's a godly passion that you have inherited. Accumulation is uh, the increase of amount of something that you own. Um, but stewardship, by comparison, is the way in which we would manage the resources that are owned by somebody else. So, to put it another way, God 
owns it all. And we are called to manage those financial gifts that he gives to us. It's an astonishing privilege and uh, an amazing vote of confidence in us. So our second heading is actually a quote from John Wesley, where he says, remember that it's not how much of our money we give to God, it is how much of God's money we keep for ourselves. So let's move on and look at another verse, this time about a rich young man. Jesus said to the young man, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became really sad because he was extremely rich. Jesus looked at him and said how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. So here we have a clear example of someone who's very wealthy in their earthly account, but has no treasure in their heavenly account. And Jesus is saying to him, you don't have an accurate reading of your true financial position. In your heavenly bank account, you're in the red. You've got nothing up there. You actually have a lack. So you need to move some of your money from down here to up there. And here's how. And he talks about giving. It's such a tantalizing moment because that man was so close to experiencing true financial freedom. But he must have twisted Jesus' words in his head and got it all wrong because he seems to think that Jesus was saying to him, look, I don't like the fact that you're rich. I want you to sacrifice everything, have a joyless existence down here, and then when you get up to heaven, you'll get your money back, I suppose. But that's not what Jesus was saying at all. He never berated him for having money. He just wanted him to use his money for its great intended purpose. But the tragedy is that that man walks away just seconds before Jesus gives us a jaw-dropping revelation. Um, in verse 28, Peter goes on to say, we've left our homes and we followed you. And then he says to them, truly, I say to you, there's no one who's left house, wife, brothers, parents, children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who won't receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. So there it is, Peter saying, we haven't got a bean. And Jesus amazes him by saying, Peter, because you've given everything, you're actually owed a substantial multiplication while you're on earth and in the life to come. So if our money is in our account in heaven, here's the question we're all asking. Is it possible to access it, access it in this life? Let's have a look at Ecclesiastes 11. Don't let the familiarity of this verse rob you of its wisdom. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters and you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight for you don't know what misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth, and whether a tree falls towards the south or towards the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. Now, Ecclesiastes is telling us to give, but it's also telling us so much more, because when you give, you're actually ensuring your future no matter what evil may occur. That's a very topical 
thing for times like these, but it's also critically important to know because one of the main reasons people fail to give is because of a fear of the future. So you don't know what misfortune may occur, and the Bible therefore tells us to give generously, give our money to a number of different causes, maybe seven or eight, so that you've got a guaranteed supply of money upstairs for when you might need it. Verse 3 then goes on, and it says, If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. Clouds are in the heavens. And when we give our tithes and offerings, or when we give to the poor, we're actually filling that cloud in heaven with rain. And clouds that are full of water eventually empty back down to the earth. So you may not know when that's going to happen, but what you do know is that it most certainly will happen. And then there's this really enigmatic sentence about a tree falling. It sounds so obvious. Wherever a tree falls, there it lies. Thanks, Solomon. That's, that's a pearl of wisdom right there. But the teacher of Ecclesiastes is actually saying, he has this gift of saying profound things in a very simple way. Because when a tree falls to the ground, there are two things going on there. One is the weight of the tree, and the other thing is gravity, the force of gravity. So the law of gravity is so constant. And through this image, I think God is wanting us to know that the spiritual laws of giving and receiving are as strong as the universal law of gravity. Even other religions recognize the spiritual law of give and it shall be given unto you. They might call it karma. So these verses also uh, provide wisdom on timing of financial release. God is in charge of the timing and he's very good at it. Verse 1 says you'll find your reward after many days and that you'll receive it when the clouds are full. So our next heading there, Paul, is leave the timing to God. Just when you need it or when you're least expecting it, you can sometimes receive a massive downpour. And downpours often come after a drought. Here's a picture of uh, Christine Townsend, a friend who lives in London, and she now uh, works for the London Philharmonic Orchestra. She leads the seconds, second violins. Uh, but a few, a few years back now, when she was a music student, she went to a mutual friend of ours called Martin Powell, who does a lot of work with um, money. And uh, she asked him to pray because she needed a really good quality violin. And she just couldn't afford one. So this is how he describes in his book what happened. I asked the Lord to provide a friend of mine, Christine Townsend, with a violin. And my first prayer was that I asked for a very good one. Then uh, I got a nudge to carry on praying. So I went back and I asked for a Stradivarius. Then I got another nudge, and I went back and I asked for a Stradivarius that was made in Stradivarius's best year. And then I thought, Ooh, but what if she gets his worst violin in his best year? So I went back and I asked the Lord if he would release to her the best Stradivarius that was made during his best year. Chrissy lived in Shepparton in Middlesex, and within a week of Martin praying that prayer, she was approached by a neighbour who, wait for it, said she'd found a violin in the attic. And she's having a little clear out. I mean, it's just the ultimate cliche, isn't it? Would she like to have a look at it? 
Yes, she would. <laughs> right decision, Chrissy. It was a Stradivarius, made in his best year. The neighbour then lent it to Chrissy for her lifetime. That's a beautiful picture of stewardship, isn't it, right there? So just to give you an idea of value, uh, in 2014, a Stradivarius was auctioned for 27 million. And that wouldn't have been his best, because, of course, she's got his best one. So that's an example of a downpour being released at exactly the right time. Now, you might be thinking, hmm, yeah, I'd quite like to know a little bit more about these downpours. Uh, but the trouble is, I haven't actually seen so much as a raindrop, let alone a monsoon. And anyway, why does this thing, kind of thing always happen to other people? So if we want to see our blessings move from a trickle to a flow, then we have to understand that there's a principle here, which is we're up against a type of inertia. And we have to break through that inertia by giving, giving, and going on giving until the wheels are in motion. It's a bit like an engine that when you start to move it, the pistons go, they're very slow at first, and then they get going, and you get some momentum. And that law seems to be the same for other areas of uh, spirituality. So John Wimber, for instance, when he was praying for healing, um, he wanted to move it away from a theory um, and into a reality. And eventually, after years of praying, the downpour of healings just had to be released because the clouds were full. So our next he heading then is don't give up. Keep on giving no matter what the result. Because that's a temptation, isn't it, to give up. You've got bills, you've got school fees, you've got to save, you've got extra tuition lessons, you've got presents to buy, you've got council tax, you've got the car's garage bills, you've got your pension payments, you've got your wife's clothing bill, very important. You've got your husband's tech and gadget habits. Not so important. <laughs> the list is endless, and it's a very subtle thought at first. You may think, well, look, I work really hard for my money, and I would just like to see a little bit of it left over at the end of the month, just so I could have room to breathe for one month. But we are stewards. We're managing someone else's money, and someone who is longing to pour a rich reward into your lap. So keep filling up those clouds. If we understand then that uh, giving releases this flow of financial favour, but we're not experiencing that favour, then we might need to take a look at what the blockages are that might stop that money coming our way. So let's take a look at the next slide of blockages. It's not a very pretty list, is it? Uh, if we move on and look at Romans 13.8, it says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. So that's really a word in season about debt. It doesn't mean, that, that verse doesn't mean, I don't think, that we can't borrow or lend, but we shouldn't withhold what we've actually been contracted to do. So that means, for example, if you've got higher purchase payments you need to pay back or mortgage payments, you need to be living in a way that you can keep up with those payments. And if we've got a, you know, a, a deal with a friend, let's say, something that's not a legal contract, we've borrowed money from somebody, we really do still need to pay them back in the manner that we originally agreed to do so. If we don't pay back what we owe, then we will start to receive curses in our lives. Now, that's not a popular word. It's not a popular fact. 
but it is nonetheless true. We can be tithing and giving our offerings on the one hand and yet find that we still never have enough. We can be working hard and there's not enough to pay the bills. So if that is your, if that's the sort of situation you're up against at the moment, then what you need to do is some weeding. And that's what the Finding Freedom weekend coming up at the end of February, I think it's 23rd and 24th, isn't it? That what the Finding Freedom weekend is all about. So please do make that a priority to come on that course because finding permanent financial freedom has got to be worth the price of one and a half days time. Debt is a miserable situation to find yourself in and sometimes people can get into debt through no fault of their own. You know, it might be a financial recession or something that prevents them from earning a living. And if that's you, you really have my sympathy because I've been there and I know what it's like. God is aware of those situations and he will help you restore your life if you are trying to do what he says. Let's go back and have a little look at Luke 6.38. Give and it will be given to you. Remember that one? It's a well-known verse. Now normally we look at that verse as a positive cause and effect. But if you uh, have started operating in debt and you've started giving negative money, then uh, you might have been borrowing somebody and not paying you back, then the same will be given to you and you will start reaping negative money, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. In other words, we reap what we sow. So our debts do need to be dealt with. It's no good saying to God uh, that you repent. I mean, it's lovely that you do that, but we actually do have to put some actions in place as well. You've got to pay back those debts to stop the curses from affecting your life. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, the curses, quite often what you find is that sometimes people have a bit of both going on. So they don't realise that there's been some financial disobedience maybe or dis misdemeanor in their life or maybe they've inherited a situation and they're still tithing so they've got blessings coming in but because of the curses they've got it dripping through their fingers all the time and it can be really confusing because they're saying well god i'm paying my tithes and things is what's going on so it's a question of getting a pen a piece of paper writing down everything and uh, really going through it and seeing where where we may have you know erred and where we may need forgiveness to sort that sort of thing out. If you can't contact somebody in order to return their money, you need to ask God what to do and make a donation perhaps to a ministry or to whoever the Lord directs. And that's something that I had to do in my life. And um, it was you know, very awkward and very difficult. And people said to me, don't write um, and pay back. Don't tell them that you've done this. Just say sorry and it will go away. And I had to get in touch with the person and um, try and track them down. And I couldn't get in touch with them in the end. And so I was directed to make a substantial donation to a ministry and quite rightly so. So if anybody would like uh, information about debt, uh, about getting yourselves or a friend out of debt, I've got um, some printouts here of just about how to help you with that and how to get a plan in place. Our next heading then is get 
rid of the blockages. The second blockage to look at is the refusal to tithe. Famous verse coming up here, Malachi. Should people steal from God, yet you have stolen from me. But you ask, well, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You've cheated me out of tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating you. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. That's the only time in scripture where God invites you to try this out, to, te to test him on this. So we're not actually giving to keep the church finances out of the red or to keep the pastor afloat. We really are giving to God and he is waiting to release the blessings back to us the moment we do. Some people actually try and argue that tithing was part of the Old Testament law and therefore has no relevance under the New Covenant. Well, all I would say to that is that tithing was modelled by Abraham before the law was given. So tithing is actually pre-law. In its truest form, tithing has really got nothing to do with the law. We don't need a law to make us do something uh, to make us, you know, uh, make something a good idea to do or not do. Because, for instance, how many of us know that God thinks um, murder was a very bad idea before the law was given? And some people also say, well, you know, tithing's hardly ever mentioned in the New Testament, but um, being born again is mentioned twice in the New Testament. Very good idea. So, so the problem really with not tithing is that it's a type of, dishonesty. We live in an unparalleled luxurious time compared to the rest of the world and yet if we choose to rob God, we are actually living with a willful blindness to God's generosity and to other people's desperation. When I uh, was a student, I was very slow about getting my act together with tithing. It just seemed to me that it applied to everybody else but me and I would give a nominal amount in the basket and think that I'd done my bit. But when I actually sat down with pen and paper and did a few sums and worked out what I was giving, I realised that I was actually coming in way under. So our final heading then is work out the tithes and offerings. To sum up then, whatever state your finances are in, keep the conversation about money with God open. Because when we've got things wrong and fallen off the straight and narrow, we have a tendency to feel that it's down to us to sort out our financial mess on our own. But it's really much better to come to God and say, you know what, I've really blown it, or I'm angry. I'm angry that I never have enough, or I'm hurt because it feels like you're withholding things from me and I don't know why. Just have that honest conversation. Whatever's on your heart, get it out. Maybe we've forgotten that God is longing for us to receive his money and to help us get things straight so that he can release it and we can go and spend it on others and benefiting his kingdom. Here are some questions that it's very helpful to keep asking in your prayer times. 
and uh, I've also printed them on that sheet if you want to take a copy of them home. Uh, I won't read through all of them, but they're just one or two that uh, just really, really help get down to the nitty-gritty. Things like, Lord, do I have a pure heart towards money? Because it's so easy to deceive ourselves, isn't it? And Holy Spirit just wants to help us there. We need to find out where to put our money. We need to know whether we're earning enough. And if we're not, we need to know what to do about it. So all these questions are completely legitimate and God wants to help us with the situa situations. We don't actually have to run our finances on guesswork. I'll leave you with one last thought, which is that once you move from thinking to doing, the freedom comes, the joy comes. Remember Jesus making a withdrawal from his heavenly account? In uh, Matthew 17, he says to Peter, go to the sea, cast a hook, and take the first fish that comes up. And when you opened his mouth, you'll find a coin in it. I don't know what that's about. But I mean, they're just fooling around, really, aren't they? They've both given absolutely everything. I mean, maybe there's a deep theological significance there that I've missed. Um, but it's a great joke to play on a penniless fisherman. I'll leave it there. Amen. I love that insight from um, Ecclesiastes. Okay, haven't heard people link that one before. Um, just a couple of thoughts before we finish. Um, one is that whenever God speaks to you about a particular area, it's because he wants to bless you and bring you freedom in that area. And Satan is aware of that, and he will immediately oppose that. And so when you start to get your finances sorted out and start tithing and so on, probably the first thing that you will experience is a little bit of a, uh, you know, a positive thing happen, and then it will become difficult because Satan will oppose the freedom that God wants to bring you. Uh, it's the same in every area of our lives where, when God speaks to us. Now, um, I don't think Louis knew this, but um, over just before the new year, God spoke to me and he said he wanted to release his blessing in a new way. And I felt... It certainly included, and may have been one of the main bits, was uh, his financial blessing on his people. And uh, so the first talk this year, I talked about how uh, when we prayed for people's businesses before, immediately that week, uh, they saw new business come in. So if you'd like to stand, I want to pray that kind of a blessing again. Because God loves his children, he loves to bless, and... Uh, he doesn't want us to love money, but he wants us to be able to have it so we can use it uh, and uh, to be able to enjoy it and also to be able to uh, be generous with it, as Louis is going to say. So, Father, we ask that you would come and do that. We thank you that uh, the cattle on the thousand hills are yours and you're happy to sell a few off every now and then in order to provide for us. We thank you that you have plans to bless us that we can't even imagine because your heart for us is so great. And so in Jesus' name, I bless your finances. I bless uh, your awareness of how finances work. I bless your ability to earn money, to be able to save money, to be able to give money, to be able to reduce your expenses, but also not to be af afraid of uh, committing to things. 
I release and I bless a radical generosity to God's people. And I bless you with the ability to be able to trust God even when it looks like things aren't adding up. So I bless your finances. I bless the businesses that are uh, represented here. And uh, I release a new wave of uh, clients coming in and business coming in. I release a new ability to be able to, l- to earn. And for some of you, I release new income streams. God blessed us with that over the last few years. Uh, it was prophesied for us and it's happened. And so I bless you with that as well, to be able to not rely on just one income stream, but to be able to be creative, to be able to hear from God, and to uh, be able to flourish in those areas. And uh, I bless you with an incredible generosity as well. I bless you with a heart that is uh, first and foremost in relationship with Jesus, to worship him, and to pour out your life as a, a love offering before him. I think maybe for one or two people, somewhere in the past, a curse has been spoken over you or over your family with regard to finance. And so in Jesus' name, we bring that into the light and we break the power of it now. We break its hold. And in Jesus' name, I release the opposite of that curse. I release God's blessing. I release God's blessing in place of the curse in Jesus' name. Where the locusts have eaten, God promises to restore. And I... Uh, I release and I bless that restoration now in Jesus' name.